Welcome to Full Disclosure, a podcast to provide legal information and updates to individuals, businesses and business advisors in South Australia. This podcast is brought to you by Meller Olson Lawyers, a full service South Australian law firm. The information, opinions and advice in this podcast are for general information only. today's episode, we're going to be talking with Darren Fong and Matt Dorman. Both Matt and Darren are partners at Meller Olson Lawyers and work in our commercial and property law team. Welcome, Darren and Matt. Thanks for having us, Lizzie. No worries. Okay, so guys, the reason I have you here today is with JobKeeper coming to an end, do you think there'll be an increase in demand for people wanting to protect their assets? in the event that I guess their businesses experience financial difficulties such as bankruptcy. I know that we're, we're seeing a lot of businesses are probably going to have deferred payments that are going to eventually catch up with them um, and you know we no longer have the um, enabling stand down directions. So essentially we're going to find businesses having to service um, the expenses. What does that mean in regards to the business structure and the inv- individuals wanting to look after their assets? Well, there's no doubt that JobKeeper payment scheme was a required measure when it first was introduced by the government when the pandemic started. Um, And I think it's been a real lifeline to many businesses and it's been a real big win in that regard. However, with JobKeeper coming to an end, I think what you'll start to see is more and more businesses will um, start to struggle financially and um, particularly those who have sort of really survived just because of JobKeeper um, the cracks will start to show and, and you know, they'll, they'll really um, struggle financially and they'll start to come to the realisation then, what do I do to protect my assets? So when we talk about assets, we're talking about people's individual assets such as their homes um, and the things that surround themselves that I guess our businesses service in regards to our dividends and whatnot. Well, I think that the important part is to make sure that the family home's protected. Um, that's the main issue for us is that um, people want to make sure that their passive assets or their you know, assets such as shares and um, um, you know, they might have uh, investment properties and things like that are actually protected from their trading entities. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but the, the, main, uh, the main issue is to make sure that they don't lose their home. So this is in the event of a bankruptcy or something like Correct. that? You know, I'll, am I still going to have a roof over my head? Correct. So, Can we talk about that? I mean, by simply transferring homes and properties to like a spouse or a family member, will that actually protect the property? Unfortunately, transferring a family home to a spouse or family member shortly before going to bankruptcy is not going to help in that situation. Right. So... I I mean, (laughs) I'd like to say, especially in in the case of potentially JobKeeper ending and some businesses having financial stress, um... Um, the, it's a proverbial, the horse has already bolted. Um, if you were going to do that, you should have looked at doing that years ago um, because unfortunately the bankruptcy trustees can actually claw back um, any of those transactions for no consideration or no value um, uh, between spouses um, or between other family members um, to avoid <laughs> these issues in, if it happened in the last few years. When we talk about some time back, is there a time frame? Yeah, well, basically the Bankruptcy Act has a couple of... Um, you know, what we call as practitioners clawback provisions mm-hmm. and the two main ones are for, the first one's for undervalued transactions 
So for a period of up to five years, um, if a home or any other assets transferred to a spouse or a related party, for example, for no consideration uh, or for value that's less than its true market value, mm -hmm. uh, then basically the clawback provisions allow the trustee in bankruptcy to take back those assets and basically to void the transaction. Okay. The second clawback provision is if the main purpose is to defeat creditors. And one of the main requirements for that is, is for the um, person to be insolvent at the time of doing the transfer. So obviously that person knew that they're in financial difficulties um, and they're deliberately trying to transfer the asset um, really to defeat the creditors and the trustee in bankruptcy. And there's no time limit to that, unfortunately. Okay. So really the time to do it was a while ago, but still it's a good time to do it because you just don't know what's happening in the future, as we all know after. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the sooner you do, you get your asset protection plan in place, the better it is. Okay. Correct. I think it's, I mean, from my perspective, important that people look at that when they set up a business to begin with. Um, and too often it's overlooked. Um, and it's not until later on that people then try and um, you know, transfer assets and, and do other asset protection. And sometimes there's tax problems with doing all of that at that point as well. So um, the earlier you do it, the better. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about that family home for a minute if we can. What are some of the things that people should be thinking about as part of their asset protection plan, particularly with, um, um, I guess, the home being the single most important asset? Um, what's the theory behind the plan? You know, what should we try and do? Oh, well, from my perspective, the theory is actually very simple. Keep the ownership of assets outside the name of the high-risk individual as best as possible. It's as simple as that. Right. So <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about high-risk individuals, if we can, for a moment. Maybe use some examples. I guess um, you've got a, uh, a married couple, um, you know, husband-wife, husband-husband. Um, what, what, how would you make the assessment of, I guess, the highest risk in that relationship and who should the property's name be in? Um, generally speaking, it's the, the higher risk is anybody who's got exposure um, to being uh, potentially sued, um, either one as a professional or two as a director of a company um, or the owner of the business. Um, generally speaking, whilst you can put insurances and um, other measures in place to try and avoid um, exposure, um, there are certain things you can't actually sort of contract out of or insurance will pay out. Um, and those people, if they've got um, exposure to being sued, um, that's an exposure to assets. Mm -hmm. So you'd always look to transfer any asset that's in the high-risk individual mm -hmm. um, over to the low-risk individual if possible. So we've got, what, a brain surgeon who's married to a receptionist, yep. Yep. you know? So obviously the brain surgeon, they perform regular surgery, perhaps on a daily basis. High risk. Um, obviously much higher risk of mm -hmm. something happening and potentially being sued compared to let's say the receptionist who really, whose main job is really to greet clients as they come through the office doors mm -hmm. uh, and obviously not high risk at all compared to the brain surgeon. Yep. So in that sort of scenario, what you'd be looking to do is put the family home in the name of the receptionist as opposed to the brain surgeon. Okay. That's great if you've got one person who's high risk, but what if we've got a brain surgeon married to a brain surgeon? What do we do then? It's always a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's make it a little bit simpler. What if we've got a brain surgeon married to a GP, for example? Yeah. How would we assess that? Oh, look, they're, they're both high-risk professionals. They're both medical practitioners. But, you know, it's not uncommon that we see these sort of situations. Uh, a, a doctor quite often marries another doctor, so it's quite, quite a common scenario. Mm -hmm. In that case, I think what you'll find is that there is 
always one person who is exposed to higher risk than the other. So in your scenario, a brain surgeon compared to a GP, for example, um, you know, doing surgery is obviously much more intense, much more high risk than uh, a, a general practitioner. Mm -hmm. um, and in some cases, what we find is uh, the general practitioner might in fact be working reduced hours, um, possibly because they've got a young family and want to spend more time raising the young family. So if you factor in all the circumstances altogether, um, the risks are substantially reduced. And in that case, they might decide to put the family home in the general practitioner's name. Sounds like it needs to be a tick box on those dating sites. How high risk <laughs> is your career? <laughs> um, the, I mean, there are, if, if the assessment comes out that both are high risk and they don't want to take the risk, there are ways that we can deal with the property, such as putting it into a protective trust or okay. some, some other way rather than have it in their name. The issue with that is you're going to have potential tax issues at a later date if you sell the property. Um, but basically it becomes an assessment of, well, what's the risk compared to what the tax is going to be? And you have to do an assessment on a case-by-case -case basis, depending on what assets that you have. And I'm assuming that that would be true for somebody who doesn't have a spouse to put a property's name into. We're we talking about Correct. a, a high-risk individual. How does one protect their assets if you're just a brain surgeon on your own? Correct. And yeah. so you can do it into trust. You can put something into a trust. If you have it in your name, you've obviously got the risk that with the trust you have tax. The only other way to deal with it would be to put it into somebody else's name, but that's an even bigger risk. Right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so we've talked about the structures in which I guess the ownership of the business. Um, many businesses in Australia are small to medium enterprises which are owned by families. So your mums and dads and so forth. Um, what about family businesses? What should they be considering in the way of an asset protection plan for a family business? I think the ownership structure is an important starting point for, for just about every business really. Um, and I suppose it comes down to understanding the risks involved uh, in relation to each and every different structure that's available. So if you have a sole practitioner mm -hmm. um, and uh, partners in operating through a partnership, then obviously those individuals are exposed to the risks of the business and they are personally responsible and personally liable for anything that goes wrong in the business. Whereas if you operate through a company or a trust, um, automatically there's almost like a barrier there that provides some form of protection um, automatically. Mm -hmm. It's not bulletproof, because um, obviously with directors there's still uh, responsibilities and potential personal liabilities as directors in taking on that role. Particularly where um, you know, there's, uh, the, the, the business has been trading insolvently um, or there's some tax issues there. Mm -hmm. Um, or potential breach of director's duties, which might be inadvertent as well. So this is all good advice for, I guess, people who are finding themselves in business thinking, wow, I need to go back and rethink about my asset protection plan. But I would imagine if you're considering starting a new business, that perhaps engaging with a lawyer um, to as assist you in what's the best setup for yeah. your scenario. Absolutely. There's two, I think there's two parts. There's obviously speaking to your accountant about what's the best tax structure but also trying to work that in with your best asset protection structure. Mm -hmm. And the two work hand in hand, um, sometimes we're at odds, but generally speaking, you end up finding a, um, a, a structure that works for both. Um, I mean, for example, we, we, we see people who have been put into a partnership where um, you know, the spouses are both partners because they can split income. But what they don't realise is by actually having a partnership, they're both exposed. So um, it might, a better option might be to have a company or a trust which you can still... So you've got a married couple, married couple as directors well, of a company? Well, in a, in, a, in a partnership, they've actually got exposure themselves. 
Whereas if it was a company, they might only have exposure as a director, or one of them has to be a director, but they can still um, distribute income um, between the, the, yeah. the, the two of them. So, mm -hmm. you know, it just depends on what people want at the time and, and what works best for them. So would you say that, um, I guess, one of the things to question, is it absolutely necessary to have, I guess, you know, a husband and wife both as directors of a company, or can you...? Well, on that point, we see that quite often, where there's both spouses as directors. I suppose my question to the clients would be, is that absolutely necessary? Because if it's not, uh, why, why have both of them there and exposing both couples uh, to the risks of the business? If you only need one, why not let's put that one person as um, taking on all the risks of the business and the other one become the safe person and therefore have the ownership of the assets such as a family home and, and various other assets? I think, uh, just to add to that, I think one of the big issues that I see from the clients that come in is that they have a perceived idea that if they don't own the assets, then if they separate from the person, from their spouse, then all of a sudden the spouse can take off with the assets. Right. Um, and they don't understand that under the family law, um, under family law um, unfortunately, if you hold the assets, it doesn't matter. You're still perceived as a joint asset with the other person. Perhaps a podcast for another day. Yeah. It is. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, yes, I, I could imagine that there's, yeah, those things thrown around, oh, it's all in my name, you know. Correct. Um, you know, I don't have control, therefore, what can the other person do yeah. if we separate? Because but actually, example. there's law there to protect you. Correct. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> um, We've talked about, I guess, measures that we can put in place in the way of um, ownership structure and directors and those sorts of things. Are there any other measures that can be put in place to, I guess, um, manage the risk of the business? Um, the simple answer is yes. I think um, asset protection planning is not just about looking at the ownership structure, but also looking at how you manage the risk, uh, in particular for business owners, uh, where a, a family might be running a business. Um, there are two main things that I look at. One is uh, the credit side of things, and quite often what people do is that they actually don't go through a credit application process or credit check process, uh, which I think they, they should as mm -hmm. part of good business practice. Um, obviously, if you can ensure that you get paid in your business, then you can look after by, from your clients, then you obviously can make sure that you pay your suppliers and your creditors. So. If you have a big client or a big customer that doesn't pay, then that could put you in financial difficulty and hence expose you with your risks. Okay. So that's the first step. So I think um, thought must be given to whether you should do a credit check perhaps on your customers, um, perhaps thinking about whether a deposit is required or, or desirable. Mm -hmm. um, quite often people don't think about those things. Um, you know, if you have a deposit, at least that minimises some part of your risk in the event that clients don't pay. And the last thing to think about on that point would be, you know, potentially getting personal guarantees from your customers as well. Because if you're dealing with another company, if that company goes belly up, well, if you still can go after the underlying individuals, then that's sort of an added um, protection measure, if you like, another okay. avenue to pursue down if you, if you need to. One thing that I've noticed in my business dealings recently is that um, I'm seeing people's terms of trade change. You know, um, historically has been the 30 days, but I have seen that some businesses are bringing that forward to 15 days. Is terms of trade another, I guess, business risk management strategy? What I'm actually seeing is people mm. don't actually have the terms of trade. Mm. Um, instead, what they're saying is the bottom of an invoice, they're saying, oh, terms 14 days, but it's too late at that point. 
um, the issue is that you, if you want terms of trade, you've actually got to have the terms of trade at the time it was bought or the product was sold, not mm. at the time when you provide an invoice, which may be later down the track. Right. So um, we are actually seeing more and more that, that businesses are doing things orally or they're just doing it basically on a, a, a basic purchase order and not having any terms of trade in, in mm. place at all. Um, and it's pretty hard to fall back on um, actual terms if you, uh, you know, somebody doesn't pay um, unless you've actually got them in place. One of the key points that people often don't realise as well is with terms of trade, one of the key points is, is to actually have limitation of liability provisions in there, which could potentially, um, um, you know, if things do go wrong in your business, yeah. that clause may potentially save your business because it limits your liability in the event that someone tries to sue you. Whereas without any such provision at all, um, they might be successful in going after you, in which case that could be the end of your business. Yeah, okay, so there's a few little takeaways that I guess you know, could all add up to putting you in a better position to protect your assets. Absolutely, every little bit helps. So I've come across some business owners who um, really don't put much thought into asset protection planning because they feel it's either unnecessary or um, not required because they actually have business insurance in place. I guess, what are your thoughts around that? Is, is business insurance a full bag? Um, in my case, well, my, my answer is no. Um, Business insurance is great, but it's not going to cover um, every type of scenario that may play out in a business. For example, you might be um, you know, willfully negligent or something, and that's not actually covered in your policy. Uh, therefore, you still will have liability. Um, the other thing is, as a director, you can't contract out of your director's duties. So even though you might have director's um, uh, or an officer's um, insurance, that doesn't always cover everything either. So basically, you still need the asset protection for the, the, the gaps, um, and there are plenty of gaps. I think insurance is, is important. Um, it's not to say you have one and not the other. I think they're both necessary. The way I see it is um, an asset protection plan, um, it, it's a bit like, you know, in a car accident, you have your seatbelt and you hope that the seatbelt will save you. But in the event that it doesn't work, then you've got the airbags there to help for yeah, the added protection. Yeah. Yeah. So the way I see it is an asset protection plan is a bit like that in that it's like the airbags that help you. You hope that you never have to rely upon them, but they're there just in case. It's a good analogy. I think we can all relate to that. Um, I spoke with one of our wills and estates lawyers here at Mellor Olson recently, and I discovered that asset planning protection was actually a factor that they normally consider as part of advising clients when drafting their wills. Um, would you mind clarifying, I guess, this and, and, and how and why clients should actually consider this um, beyond their will? Um, I mean, the big issue is that if you have put an asset protection um, structure in place and you have, say, one spouse who has all the assets, if that spouse dies, the last thing you want is to actually transfer the assets back to the other spouse and undo all the good work that's already been done. Of course. So there are ways that we can um, um, put... Um, some structures into wills that will actually allow, say, that the, um, the deceased spouse, the, 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 the assets transfer back over to, say, into a trust and not into that person's um, personal name. Now, a lot of the time people sort of oversee this and get standard wills when, in actual fact, they probably should be, should, should be looking at the more complex wills that will, yeah. will uh, adapt to that. So I guess if you're a business owner, there's structure around it, the off-the-shelf will is probably not going to work for you? Definitely not. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah, I don't think the asset protection plan is complete unless you consider the estate planning side of things, the wills side of things, as, as part and parcel. It's sort of the last step of the yeah. asset protection plan, if you like. So I guess just to summarise, these are all good things if you're starting a business. Um, these are all things that you should be considering when you're actually establishing a new business. I'm assuming that um, we're going to see some businesses, unfortunately, fall into some financial hardship with the cushion of JobKeeper having mm. come to an end. Um, engaging with someone like yourselves at this point in time to assist in A, getting that asset protection plan in place as soon as possible yep. um, is going to provide a bit of peace of mind. Um, is there anything else in closing that I think you know would be of value to people listening to individuals, business owners or business advisors in regards to the asset protection plan as we come out of JobKeeper? I suppose from my point of view that um, the fact that whilst the bankruptcy trustee might be able to claw back in certain circumstances, it puts people off. The sooner you do it now, the quicker that time frame might might come up that you actually get the asset protection. Mm -hmm. So the more you, you leave it, the longer that that, asset that that clawback period is going to sit there. Yes. So mm -hmm. um, in my view, it's um, action now. Yeah, get the clock ticking. Okay. Well... I'd like to thank both of you for your time today. Um, hopefully we don't find businesses needing to act on this advice, but obviously if, if they are starting to feel a bit nervous, this is generally helpful stuff. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very Lucy. much, guys. The information in this podcast is general in nature. For terms and conditions about our podcast, to learn more about Matt and Darren or our commercial and property team or Mellor Olsen Lawyers in general, please visit molawyers.com.au.